Hi, baby. What's going on, man? Just cranking out another another podcast. You ready? You ready, well, baby? Is, is this thing on? It is. <laughs> In different channels, but it's it's on. Yeah. Hello to everyone joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in to another exciting episode of Counting Worms. That's the, that's the what podcast. They call us these days. Not the book on tape, but the podcast. Do they still do books on tape? I don't know. Do they? <laughs> oh, kids today. <laughs> they don't I, even know what a book on tape. They is. don't even know what a book is. It's called an audio book. <laughs> Highfalutin. Hi, baby. You look beautiful. Thank you. It's the pink in my cheeks from the garden. Yeah, we've been doing some gardening. Well, you have. I've been following you around and cleaning up and doing mulch. Yeah. And it's looking good. It's springtime again here in Texas. Beautiful weather. Well, not today so much. It was kind of crappy and it's beautiful to sprinkly. Me. Yeah. So today's episode is a free-for-all, isn't it? It is. It is. We get to do whatever we want. Yeah. And I, I've got one. Do we have anything else that we need to address? I think so. One news. One news. Yeah, baby. Lay it on us. Well, I figured you would forget that this one is the one that you were supposed to do worm news for. You're right. I did forget. (laughs) (laughs) So. Anticipating my forgetfulness, you you made alternate plans. Very smart. Well, I actually thought we would just maybe explain why we're so late doing the podcast. Oh, yeah. So, uh, tell you a little bit about ourselves, or at least uh, about me. Um, something exciting happened. Um, so, I'm a beekeeper. Yeah. Yeah, you are. I'm all about saving the planet, um, which is idealistic and stupid, but I try. And uh, I have two little beehives that uh, let me know in no uncertain terms that they don't want my help. Yeah, they told me to butt my... (laughs) Buzz off. Buzz off. Yeah, they don't (laughs) need my help, and they would like for me to not bother them. Uh, But they they make good little friends in the garden. Um, They pollinate all my flowers, and uh, so really, um, they don't need my help. Right. I thought it would be a lot of fun, you know. I read all the books and uh, thought I would feed them and poke my nose in their hive and see how they were doing. Have and play they, time. Yeah, and they were like, no, <laughs> we've been doing this for thousands of years and we know, we do not require your assistance. Right. But still, they live politely in the garden and I don't bother them and they don't bother me. Well, they decided that one of their hives, even though it's as tall as I am, was getting a little cramped. So they swarmed. And uh, and that means, just like in the cartoons, a big pile of bees left the hive and was in one of our, uh, in one of our bushes. We got all, and I got all excited and I said, oh, you know, well, I need to help them find a new home. And, of course, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so I thought the easiest way to help them find a new home, of course, I built them a beehive and uh, put it real close so they could see it. 
but they ignored me just like they do in the garden. Pretended they couldn't see me and did not go to the new hive. And so I had the great idea that all I needed to do to get him to go in the new hive was to catch the scout bees. See, when you have a swarm, it's this giant pulsating mass of bees, thousands and thousands of bees. And then they send out single little bees to go look for a new house to live in. These are the scout bees. I thought I could just kidnap the scout bees and put them in the hive. And they would go back to the swarm and say, hey, I found the perfect place. So the key for me was, how do I capture the scout bees? And I came up with a great idea. Mm-hmm. You did not think it was a great idea. I didn't think any of it was a good idea. So uh, I got Tupperware. A little bowl. A little bowl. Yeah, I got a little bowl with a lid. And I started running around the yard trying to snatch the bees out of the sky. Mm-hmm. But it was like really windy, like 40 mile an hour winds yeah, here in Texas. Uh, you know, we are a plains state is what they call it. The Great Plains, mm-hmm. which means we're flat and lots of wind. And so it's hard to predict where the bee is going to go with 40 mile an hour winds. But I managed to catch the scout bees. Meanwhile, you're standing on the front porch, or the back porch, I should say, reminding me and yelling at me that you had my inhaler and my EpiPen because... At the ready. I learned after deciding to keep bees that I was allergic to them, to bee stings. Yeah, so that was that was something we, you know, learn something about yourself, learn something, learn things about yourself all the time. That's it's right. important. So I, did, I kidnapped and snatched little bees out of the sky. It was, it was a good time. It was uh, quite comical, I'm sure, to see me running around snatching bees out of the sky with Tupperware. Um, and then I would put them in my hive that I built for them. And for whatever reason, they did not develop Stockholm Syndrome. Didn't go for didn't it. Didn't go for it. That didn't work. I still do not understand the logistics of that, but it didn't work. Nope. So I had to go the old-fashioned route, and I had to try to kidnap the whole swarm. Yep. That that was I was that was not really easy either. Yeah. That meant I had to take uh, the whole try to co- try to put the whole swarm in a in a box, and then transfer them into the hive. Think of a cubic foot of bees, and that's approximately what we're dealing with here. Thousands of them. Yeah, thousands for sure. Yeah, and they're kind of fussy because their queen is in the middle of that, and they don't understand that I'm trying to help. Yeah. And uh, and I've never done that before, and so I'm a little nervous, and they're they're nervous, and then they're angry. So I had to make four trips. But in I, your bee suit. Yeah. Which doesn't actually protect you from getting stung, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not in the disclaimer. Yeah. They make it sound like those bees. I mean, why do you wear a bee suit if it doesn't stop you from getting stung? I don't. What's that about? Maybe it stops you from getting stung so much. Maybe. 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 I don't know. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, the swarm has been moved to a bee box. And... Uh, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, you did a good job. Yeah, it took now four that was trips. funny. That was funny. 
yeah. to watch you, you know, scoop them into a cardboard box and then run in run. your bee suit. Yes, because they were chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> they were chasing me. And the only thing I had to use as a weapon was a little, like, paintbrush thing. And all I was, because I, I didn't want to hurt them. So as they were landing on me to sting me, I would just brush them off of me. <laughs> Don't sting me, you'll die. <laughs> yeah. But it's it was, hard to save the planet. Why don't? Why doesn't the planet cooperate? It was all done in the name of saving the planet. That's right. And helping the little bees. And helping the little bees. So now I've successfully kidnapped them, and I'm. I keep telling them, just develop Stockholm syndrome. You mean little bitches? Yeah, I fill in a lot of profanity <laughs> after that. I wasn't going to start the show with profanity, but. Yeah. You did. Yeah. So. yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. So that's that's why we're late. So we apologize. But I was being stung repeatedly by bees. Yeah. So <laughs> while Scott watched in abject horror on the back patio. Yeah. Uh, it was fun. It was an adventure. Yeah. So yeah. I've taken some Benadryls. If I run a little slow, now you know why. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All right, baby. Well, so you want to get started on this episode yeah, so now, for reals? Yeah, so now we'll start. All right. Yeah, you, you go first. I'm going to nurse my wounds. Okay. Well, in our last episode, you talked a bit about a couple of guys in clown suits and machetes. I did. I did. And it got me thinking about this case that I've been following for a while, and I think now is time for me to dig in on it. Um, and I think and there's been... A, there's come a trial's coming up in the next couple of months, and I think it's going to go the way I think it's going to go. Anyway, I'll I'll you'll figure out the connection between my story and your story in just a sec. Are they insane clown posse? Well, no. Ooh, that would be a good one though. No, this story takes place in the Palm Beach area of South Florida. It's always Florida. Yeah, it is. And there's a guy in or or Ohio. Or Ohio, yes. There's a guy named Michael Warren. And he's a little rough around the edges, um, but he's been very successful in the line of work that he's in. And it's a line of work that you're familiar with. Hmm. Care to guess what it is? It could be anything. It could be. <laughs> well, he owns a tote the note oh, car lot. Oh, yeah. What can you tell us about a tote the note business? It's, a, it's just a way for you to take advantage of the less fortunate. <laughs> Yeah. Here, I'll pretend to sell you this car so I can come take it from you later. <laughs> <laughs> when you stop making payments yeah. because and, you can't afford it. And I can just resell the same car over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good summary. All right. So he owns that. He also owns a rent-a-rec uh, car rental business. So, you know, the mm -hmm. kind of old cars, uh, whatever, uh, that rents to that, people who can't afford to rent cars that's either. To, that's to rent to criminals for them to commit crimes. Right. So they can right. pay off their note on their other one. Right. On their other car. So, and also he and his wife, her name's Marlene. They've been married for 20 years. And th together they own 17 rental properties. Now they own them in a very rough part of town. And Marlene, somehow she <laughs> she drew the short straw so her work is to manage the rental properties. That means finding tenants, mm. collecting rent, and sometimes evicting people that don't pay their rent. That's what she does. He runs the car lot and the rent a rec nice. All right. So they live in a gated community. 
Of course they do. In a town called Wellington, but the, the neighborhood's called Arrow Club. Arrow Club. It's a very high-dollar, fancy-schmancy uh, neighborhood. It's one of those neighborhoods that has an airplane runway down the middle of it. Oh, and everybody's God. that you know their houses surround the runway, and they all have their own hangars and they all have their airplanes. Plane. Right, right. Um, neighbors, when talking about uh, the two of them, Marlene and Michael, um, said they said they didn't really fit, they didn't really fit in <laughs> with the country club crowd. No they were a little shit. bit. They were. I think they were kind of blue collar folks on a white collar income. If right. that makes any sense. But they were nice enough, and they kept up their lawns and all of that good stuff. So one day... They kept up their runway. Right. So one day, Michael and a group of his friends jump in the car and head to Miami to go to the horse races. They want to go mm-hmm. play the horses. And... Watch the ponies. Run. Watch the ponies. And so Marlene is at home, and her son is there too, and so several of his friends are there as well. The doorbell rings. And Marlene goes to answer the door. On the other side of the door is a clown with balloons and flowers. Hmm. And the clown was in full clown gear. Uh, Orange wig, red bulb nose, gloves, um, a painted on smile, white makeup, you know, that whole thing. One of the, um, uh, well, Marlene says, how sweet. You know, she's very excited. Um, everybody in their circle knows that Marlene has a thing for clowns. Oh. You know, everybody's got their own thing. Hers was clowns. She had paintings of them and figurines and all of this stuff. And so everybody knew she loved clowns. So when she saw a clown delivering goodies to her house, it all seemed like a very lovely surprise. One of the balloons even had the message, uh, you're the greatest on Aww. it so she's like oh who could this be uh she was just giddy with excitement waiting to see the card and everything so the clown goes to hand her the flowers and stuff and w- in the clown's other hand uh pulls a gun and shoots her in the face hmm. not funny this is a bad clown <laughs> bad clown <laughs> this is not her favorite clown no no so she drops uh, the clown that clowns clowning around. Yeah. Uh, so the clown turns around, calmly walks back to the car, which is a white uh, LeBaron. How many other clowns were in the car? <laughs> Funny. Uh, no, this clown was the only one there. And her son, Marlene's son, ran to the front door area to see what was going on and saw his mom, obviously, in some trouble and saw the white LeBaron taking off down the driveway when and leaving. shot, did a little sign that come out that said bang. bang. <laughs> no, but that's a good one. Did confetti come out? Nah, no, just a bullet, I think. Just a bullet. This is a very unprofessional clown. No, yeah, I think so. Amateur, for sure. So um, the, the kid, the son ran did after the car. No, they didn't sing. The sun went out out the front this door. This is the most disappointing clown I've ever heard. <laughs> I know. Not funny. Did they tell any jokes? I think so, but uh, they didn't write it down in the article, so I can't say. But, yeah? Did they? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Did he say what his up dog was? <laughs> 
What's up, dog? I don't know. You tell me. What's up with you? Yo. Oh, my God. All right. So the kid runs after the clown car, which is a white LeBaron that's headed down with the road. big, multicolored <laughs> polka dots painted on it. No polka dots. So what? the son never caught up with the car. And Marlene was taken to the but hospital. he was riding a tricycle with balloons on it. All right, then. Thank you. <laughs> what? You had this opportunity last week, and you just didn't take it. So Marlene was taken to the hospital, and she died two days later. Were there any clowns? No clowns. No clowns. <sighs> so you're a semi-professional detective here. So what do you think is the first step these detectives who are on this case are going to be pursuing? What are they going to look for? Who are they going to talk to? What are they going to do? The husband. The husband. The husband did it. <laughs> well, that would be a good first place to start. And he knows a lot of uh, people. He does know a lot of people, but it could be a disgruntled tenant. Who knows she collects clowns. It could be a home invasion gone wrong. Who knows she collects clowns and never invaded the home? It could be a psychotic killer clown on a killing spree. We don't know. Were they missing part of their finger? What? <laughs> Isn't that what insane clown posse does? They cut off part of their finger? I don't think so. Do they? I think so. I mean, like the people who follow that band, they cut off their fingers? No, just part of a finger. Oh, my God. No wonder I never got into that band. No. So, you're right. But Michael, the husband, is, at the time of the shooting, is driving in a car with a bunch of people. So, he's not the, he was the he's not the physical shooter. We know that much. But they do go and talk with Michael. And they interview him. And Michael tells the detectives that the killer may have been someone who had a grudge against them. They did, after all, own more than a dozen rental properties in a bad part of town. So yeah. maybe it was someone who Marlene had evicted recently. Who knows? Mm. It's possible. Right? Right. Okay. It's just a weird coincidence, the clown thing. So the investigators interviewed some of Warren's employees. And mm. through these interviews, along with some anonymous tips that came into the police department mm. shortly after the shooting... They come to find out that Michael Warren was having a long-term affair with a woman named Sheila Keen. Sheila Keen. guilty. Sheila was the estranged wife of one of the men who worked for Michael. And what did he do for Michael? Uh, he repossessed cars from people who failed to make payments. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And Sheila also worked for Michael in the capacity as a repo lady and she was apparently a pretty tough gal you know she had no qualms wasn't afraid of anything she'd go in the middle of the night you know basically what the repo people do is steal the car again right they steal it in the middle of the night for quote-unquote legal reasons but they're stealing a car right. out of a you know lousy neighborhood and you know people look out their window and see somebody taking their car they normally don't take kindly to it so it is kind of a dangerous Profession. Profession, it really is. So, detectives got a warrant for a sample of Sheila's hair and is her blood orange? for DNA. 
Well, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, they also got a warrant to search her apartment. They didn't find too much in the apartment, but what they did find were fibers from a bright orange wig. Da, da, da. Mm. Also, during the beginning parts of the investigation, um, they spoke with some employees at a Publix. You know what Publix is? I do not. It's a grocery store. P-U-B-L-I-X is the name. Um, There was one near Sheila's apartment, and employees there said that a woman matching her description brought flowers and balloons less than 90 minutes before the shooting. Hmm. Then there was this local costume shop called The Spotlight, whose owner said that a woman had purchased a clown suit, a wig, and makeup a day before the murder. She remembered her because they were closed, and it was like at the end of the day she was closed, and she came and banged on the door and made them open it up so she could buy this costume. Um, The owner, as well as the employees that uh, were there, all picked out Sheila's picture out of a photo lineup. That's the Uh-oh. Somehow, all of that didn't lead to any charges. So I have to say, at least in my opinion, at this point in time, she seems like she's probably good for this. <laughs> and I think Michael's <laughs> probably confused. got something going on. So we've got a secret affair, got wig fibers in her apartment, and also in the LeBaron. They found the car. Uh, it was abandoned. They found it in a shopping mall parking lot. They searched it and found orange fibers, mm-hmm. wig fibers, and also uh, brown hair fibers. Brown hair. And so, uh, but they submitted it all for DNA, and who knows what, what's going to happen with that. It's going to take a while. Um, also, the employees at the Publix ID'd her as being the one who bought the flowers and the balloons. Um, and the white LeBaron was reportedly stolen from Michael's car lot. Wow. Isn't that a coincidence? Is that crazy? Bless his heart. I know. And then used to kill his wife. He, he has had some terrible luck. Bad run. Yeah. Yeah. So the investigation goes on. I don't know why. Hmm. <laughs> it seems like it's a We don't it's know a wrap. why they're still in. It's a wrap. I mean, yes. how is it possible that this isn't a... They're both guilty. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. So there must be... There's something going on in Florida. I don't know what it is. But also, in the summer... They of, need to contact Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Haven't they seen the show CSI Miami? I know. They can solve everything pretty quick. In like quick. 45 minutes. And they get DNA results like instantly. Yeah. They could have DNA results like yesterday. Match. Yeah. Yeah. One word. Investigators Match. spoke with a guy named Christopher DeSantis. And he's an attorney. He sounds promising. Yeah. He, ha- he was an attorney who represented the Warrens' uh, son in an unrelated case a couple of years ago. Mr. DeSantis, while speaking under oath... This sounds good. Recalled a curious conversation that he had with him and Mr. Warren. Curiouser and curious. Mr. Warren asked him, what would happen to a woman's estate if her husband killed her? Hmm. An odd question, to be sure. Representing the son. 
DeSantis said he would answer it on a hypothetical basis. Mm-hmm. He told them that if, if someone else committed the murder and it couldn't be traced back to the husband, that the husband would inherit all the assets. Right. He told Michael one other thing, and that was one way to get away with murder would be to wear a disguise so nobody would be able to identify the killer, even if it was a man or a woman. They wouldn't be able to to tell. A disguise such as a clown suit. Now, this is all valuable information, but my question is, what kind of an attorney is this? (laughs) I mean, first of all... A damn good one. I guess, but I mean, (laughs) isn't all these conversations, aren't they privileged information? Not if they're hypothetical. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, hypothetically speaking. Yeah. Hypothetically, if you got somebody who dressed as a clown and called your wife. Anyway, so he's uh, he's given up, Mr. Warren it's, here. It's only it's only uh, privileged if you're paying him. <laughs> and a hypothetical question is no bill. Is no bill. For some reason, the district attorney's office didn't feel at that point that they had enough to press charges on either Sheila or Michael. Who is this district attorney? Is he also having an affair with Sheila? Or did he buy a car from Michael Warren? <laughs> <laughs> or and he owes him money or something? I don't know. There's some... No, he's his brother. Oh, it could be. <laughs> What's his last name? I don't know. Warren? No. <laughs> so the police were obviously frustrated at this point because they thought mm, they had a pretty solid case. Yeah. So they went ahead and uh, mounted a case against Michael Warren for business-related felonies. Oh. Racketeering, odometer, you know, yeah. futzing with the uh, odometers. Futzing? Futzing. Well, I didn't want to say fucking. I was trying to yeah. keep it clean. Oh, gotcha. So futzing. <laughs> and grand theft. All right? Okay. All right. Now I get it. During a hearing on those matters, uh-huh. the prosecutor says rather coyly, we have strong information that links the defendant as a possible suspect in the murder of his wife. Marlene Warren. Uh, He just tried to slip that in, you see. And the judge didn't like that. Didn't take to it. It said something to the effect of... Poisoning the jury pool? If Michael Warren's wife had not been the victim of the so-called killer... He didn't say killer clown. Clown murder. He never would have been tried for racketeering. If you have evidence to charge Michael with killing his wife, then get on with it. Hmm. Did you feel like you were in the courtroom? No? Yeah, a little bit. So Michael was eventually uh, sentenced to nine years in prison for his shenanigans. Um, He got out four and a half, five years for good behavior. Still nothing on the wife, huh? No, no solution on the wife's case. Five years after he was released, he married his old flame. Sheila Keen. I'm not real keen on her. In, they'd married in Las Vegas, and afterwards they moved to Tennessee, and then later moved to Virginia. And they operated, they bought and operated a restaurant called the Purple Cow. And all of Sheila's new friends and neighbors knew her as Debbie. They knew nothing. <laughs> they knew nothing about the past life, and everybody thought they were just peachy and wonderful and sweet and in. Hindsight, well, 
later on down the road, they could not ever imagine them doing anything like this. Hmm. That's foreshadowing, as you uh, like to call it. Yes. So fast forward to, to this all happened in the, the 1990, the murder. Now fast forward to 2013. So that's 23 years later. Okay. Palm Beach Sheriff's Department, I'm sorry, Steve, the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office <laughs> received a federal grant of 125000 bucks, and they uh, promptly formed a task force to reopen and inve- reinvestigate the killer clown case. Wow. Yeah. So results of the initial DNA test done back in 1990 uh, were inconclusive. However, DNA technology had come a long way in the last 23 years. Come a long way, baby. So at the FBI lab, uh, they sent some stuff up there and had them uh, look at it. And eventually it was confirmed that the brown hairs that were found in the white LeBaron belonged to Sheila Keen. Or Debbie. (laughs) Thank you. Or Debbie, as she's known now. Uh, so Sheila was arrested in 2017, so it's still another few years, uh, and her, and her trial is expected to begin in May or June of this year, so in a couple of months. So she's been in jail for three years right now. They still haven't filed any charges against the husband, which I find... Maybe they're waiting for, uh, Sheila Debbie to talk. Yeah, she's going to roll. Um... So shortly after her Rock and arrest, roll, Sheila Debbie. Yeah, sh- shortly after her arrest, she uh, her attorneys filed. I forget what the name was, but it's an indigent motion, basically saying that she's got no money to pay They've for her defense. Spent all of the first wife's money, and they have nothing left. Right. It said they needed the state to pay for her defense, but upon further investigation, they discovered hubby had several hundred thousand dollars in cash. Multiple cars, lots of equity in their Lakeview home in Virginia. So it was decided that she would pay for her own defense. (laughs) So she she has sat in solitary confinement for the last three years. Michael Warren has still not been charged with any involvement in the murder yet. (laughs) And he told reporters... Investigators don't have anything other than the fact that she married Marlene's husband 12 years later. Oh, my God, you know, let's make her guilty. That is a crock of shit. And scene. So he's not happy about her incarceration. He doesn't think that they've got anything. But it sounds to me, strangely enough, like they've been putting this case together piecemeal for the last 30 years. And they yeah. finally believe they've got enough. And finally, the probably the, it's a new DA, too. Huh, that's what I'm betting. Yeah, that other dick, he's out. Uh, Michael's brother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> anyway, so that's the story. I'm going to keep my eyes on it. I will let you know what happens. But you I have am, a lot of things you're supposed to be keeping your eyes on. I know. I really should make notes <laughs> about these. No. You'll help me out with that, though, uh, won't you, baby? I won't. I won't at all. <laughs> Come on, baby. No, uh uh-uh. uh. Division of labor. Nope. No, uh uh-uh. uh. <sighs> <laughs> All right, baby. Take it away. Let's hear your story that you said was very interesting and Weird. strange. Yeah. So mm-hmm. here's mine. 
You don't have a clap your hands or something. Clap what? your hands, everybody. And everybody just clap your hands. Next story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, the circus first appeared in the United States over 200 years ago. They have clowns yes, at circuses. They do. They wow, certainly this is a clown do. theme. This is a clown theme. It's a theme episode now. It is a theme episode. <laughs> And I am proud to say we had the chance to take our sweet niece to Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus before it ended on its 146th year. Yeah. And I know there was a lot of concern about the elephants in the modern era, but there are some facts that many people don't know about the original masters of the sideshow, P.T. Barnum and Robert Ripley. Mm. P.T. Barnum being the founder, of course, of the circus as we know it. Mm -hmm. And Ripley being the founder of Ripley's Believe It or Not. Mm -hmm. Both men were outrageous showmen. Yep. And known to not be above taking advantage of the unsuspecting public. Mm. They were okay with throwing in a hoax if it was exciting and would get the public to show up and ready for fun. Barnum said that these hoaxes were, quote, advertisements to draw attention to the museum. I don't believe in duping the public, but I believe in first attracting and then pleasing them, mm. end quote. And although P.T. Barnum was credited with the phrase, there's a sucker born every minute, mm -hmm. this misquote is perhaps the greatest quote, hoax of all. Really? It was a plaintiff accusing Barnum of a hoax in the Cardiff Giant case that actually said this line. Not P.T. Barnum himself. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, quite a bit like William Jennings Bryan being the one in the Scopes Monkey Trials suggesting we came from apes and never Charles Darwin. But history, rumor, and human minds don't always like to keep the facts straight. P.T. Barnum never would have said such a thing. Some additional background on Phineas Taylor Barnum. He was an American, born July 5th, 1810, and spent quite a bit of time as a politician in Connecticut where he fought hard for the ratification of the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery. A quote that actually was P.T. Barnum was this, a human soul that God has created and Christ died for is not to be trifled with. It may tenant the body of a Chinaman, a Turk, an Arab, or a Hottentot. Hot it is still an immortal spirit. I, lo I love it. What's a Hottentot? I'm going to get there. Okay, cool. I should tell you that I had to look up that word, oh. hot and tot. I don't know if that makes me ignorant or if it just means my parents did a great job. 
like I'll have a double cheeseburger and a side of hot and tots. Right. Because I, I was 12 before I heard most <laughs> derogatory terms. Uh, even though I was in public school, um, and it was going to happen eventually. But for anyone else lo- as lost as I am, including you, apparently, mm-hmm. it's a term describing people who speak some specific African languages. Mm. And so for all those listening, that was a quote, and it was a quote from the 1800s, and he was speaking on the floor of Congress, giving a speech to make slavery illegal when he said that. So even if the terms he used were terms we'd never use today, please put those in context. He was fighting to abolish slavery, believing that no man should own another because every body of man has a soul that Christ died for. That's very cool. Yes. I like him. That's the real P.T. Barnum. P.T. Barnum was also instrumental in starting Bridgeport Hospital in 1878 and was its first president. A hospital still in operation today in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Hmm. And though all of these facts are true, I do not have to tell you, he is remembered only for his circus for misquotes about suckers being <laughs> born every minute, True. for hoaxes and freak shows. Yes. Ripley and Barnum had more than showmanship in common. Ripley, too, had a heart of gold that was well hidden under his well-rehearsed lines. Though he had nearly ended up a pro baseball player before having to quit to support his mother, which ultimately led him to his second career choice and him becoming a wealthy and prosperous figure that we can all name today. Ripley had been quite awkward in his childhood and preteen years, and his buck teeth, which had fostered an understanding of those who were different and teased and made fun of, and he had no tolerance for it. It may surprise you that both men felt protective of those who were strange or weak. Both men were entrepreneurs, and that is true. And that leads me to the human marvels they presented us. But before I tell you about them, there is something I've been leading up to explain to you. Yeah, what's that? It's important that you know something about Barnum and Ripley. The public may have called them circus freaks or a freak show, but that was never allowed on campus at P.T. Barnum's Circus or at Ripley's Auditoriums. Both men found the term repulsive. Hmm. Barnum for spiritual reasons, and Ripley perhaps for personal ones. In both places, calling these human marvels freaks was grounds for immediate dismissal no matter who you 
were. They were considered the stars of the show. These living oddities made the show worth seeing, and both men loved and respected these valued performers. And years later, when Barnum's fortune would be lost due to bad investments, many of these human marvels would come out of retirement or leave their personal tours they had started to tour with Barnum to help him win his fortunes back, including the very famous General Tom Thumb. Wasn't so, he one of those freaks? Oh, no. So make no mistake, these people were treated like people, and they were treated like stars. Under normal circumstances, they would have lived lives consisted of being locked in an institution. Even their families were afraid and embarrassed of what their strange conditions meant. But Barnum and Ripley made them famous and took care of them. Yes, the men profited, but the stories are happy ones. If only times were still this innocent. It's amazing how the way you present something and how you allow the public to respond influences the sentiment. Wow. So now that you've been set straight I know I on the facts of these two men, here are the real stories of a few of the more famous human marvels okay. from P.T. Barnum and Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh, cool. Okay. All right, I'm ready. Francisco A. Lentini. Francisco Lentini. <laughs> right? Right. Francisco was born in Sicily in 1889 to parents with 12 children. Well, 12 and a half children, I suppose, if you want to get technical. You see, Francisco had a twin brother attached to his back at his spine. His brother, however, only consisted of a leg with a foot on one end, a set of genitals, Sweet. And then another little malformed foot. So he had three legs, four feet, 16 toes, and two sets of working genitals. Hello, ladies. Sadly, (laughs) just to make his life even more complicated, none of his three legs were the same length. Oh, no. Doctors determined quickly the location of the twin made removal impossible. It would have paralyzed him. I know what you're thinking. At least he had parents and siblings to love him. Um, no. His parents refused to have anything to do with him. So he had an aunt who tried to raise him. Meaning well... She enrolled him in a school for severely disabled children. There he saw kids who were in bad situations. He realized he was the lucky one as those children were unable to walk or care for themselves. And he taught himself 
to walk and run, and he learned a deeply held gratitude that things could be far worse. By age eight, when he arrived in America, he was an instant sensation. Touring with Barnum and joining his circus, he was charming crowds with his humor and his good nature. He showed them he could play soccer and had an incredible control over his extra leg, and soon he was billed as the man with three legs. He loved to give interviews with his third leg propped up on a stool where he would answer questions as innocent as his hobbies to as racy as his sex life. He proved to be as clever as he was charming. When people would ask about how hard it was for him to buy shoes, he would answer, he always bought two pairs. Then he'd give the extra to a one-legged friend. (laughs) He toured for 40 years with Barnum, had a wonderful, happy marriage, and four healthy children. He was so respected by his peers, he was often simply referred to as the king. He lived to be 78 years old, an unexpectedly long life, believed to be accomplished by his comfortable lifestyle. Francisco Aletini. Right? That's right. Wow. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Sounds like he had it pretty good. Yeah. Sweet Priscilla. Oh. A life that every turn was almost tragic. Mm-hmm. But... Fate continued to intervene. That describes our sweet Priscilla. Born April 26, 1911 in Puerto Rico with a condition known as hypertrichosis. Now, I bet by now everyone knows what that means. I think I do. Since I've taught you this word before... And I've taught you all of these word parts before. We've discussed it in Worm News specifically. So let's divide this word up, babe. Hyper means? It means too much. Too much, too active. And do you remember trick from a couple of other episodes? I'm thinking sweat or spit. Hair. Oh, (laughs) that was close. Means hair. Okay. And osis is a medical term for condition. All right. So she has too much hair. Too much hair. She's, yeah. Okay. We talked about the werewolf babies in Spain. Uh huh. So Priscilla had a lot of extra hair all over her body. She also had two full rows of teeth. Oh. Yeah. So her father was not sure what to make of his daughter's condition. So he took her to New York where he stayed for seven months trying to find a cure or an answer, which never came. We still don't have a cure for this condition. What did they do, though, with those babies? Well, the babies, it was caused by a drug mix-up. Oh, yeah. And they took them off the drug and slowly but surely. Their formula was 
instead of it no, being... No, it, it was minoxidil, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Oh, God. But I discussed in that warm news that the genetic condition, which is what Priscilla had, is not... There's nothing that can be done. Oh, except join the circus, perhaps. That is when he came to the decision to display her. He was not greedy or wanting to take advantage. He just wanted to find something to make the most of a bad situation. This condition had put her and him in. The problem was he didn't speak much English. So he approached showman Carl Lother, who was an accomplished showman and promoter. And Carl hired an assistant who would help with the little girl's special care and he loved her instantly. Oh. The arrangement was short-lived, however, as Priscilla's dad was shot and killed in Gainesville. Oh. True to his word, however, Carl had agreed to adopt little Priscilla should anything happen to her father, and he did. Oh. And it should be known that she never had a single bad word to say about him her entire life. Every account is he was a loving and compassionate man who worked hard to protect her, even given the business arrangement that their relationship began under. He lashed out physically and abusively at anyone who called her a freak. Even if she was, against his wishes, billed as the monkey girl, as he wanted her only build as the bearded lady, as he felt it was more respectful. Later in life, in the 1930s, while performing with a different show, Priscilla met another fascinating character named Emmett Bihano, the alligator-skinned man. Oh. Emmett was a man covered in deep, calloused skin, so scarred he had to sit in tubs of ice between performances because he was unable to sweat. Yet despite their extreme differences in outward appearances, her long beard and hair everywhere and his alligator skin, the two fell in love. Oh, they made it work. Emmett, looking monstrous, was gentle and charming. And Priscilla, despite looking wild, was kind and intelligent with a beautiful singing voice. Both were people that everyone around them, who knew them, admired. And they eloped in 1938. Oh. For a while, they enjoyed life with Barnum, touring and loving being billed simply as the world's strangest married couple. Only because Scott and I were not up for grabs yet. <laughs> That's right. They also had a spot in a 1980 movie named Carney, opposite Jodie Foster and Gary Busey. Hmm. And I'm betting Busey was the freak in that movie. <laughs> Just saying. Uh-huh. But after all that excitement, they decided they were done with public life and wanted to retire and enjoy each other. They stayed madly in love with each other all the way until the day of Emmett's passing in 1995. Priscilla herself passed in 2001. Oh, well, they had a good run. Yeah. And they found love. Yeah. 
That's sweet. Now for the big one. Well, so to speak. General Tom Thumb. Oh, yeah. Of course, we could not talk about the human marvels of that time without mentioning everyone's favorite little general, Tom Thumb. General Tom Thumb was born Charles Sherwood Stratton on July 4th, 1838 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Mm. Yep, Barnum's hometown. How about that? That is because they were actually distant relatives. Tom was a huge baby. Nine pounds, eight ounces. Wow. And he was born to normal-sized parents. He continued to grow normally until he was six months old and 25 inches when he stopped. Hmm. Tom had no physical or mental disabilities. He was simply small, really small. Barnum heard about him and went to visit. He was thrilled to see, even at only four years old, he could be taught easily to be a skilled performer, and he convinced his parents to allow Barnum to adopt him as a son. Wow. And they said, yeah, all right. And by all accounts, Barnum loved little Tom. Oh. Tom's birth father was all too happy to adopt the boy. As he said, he was just happy the child could be, quote, put to some kind of use, end quote. Mm. Sigh, people. People today. I'm telling you. I know. Tom, even at four, was by far Barnum's most skilled performer. He was funny. He could sing. He could dance. And Barnum would claim he was 11 instead of five when he was ready to go on stage. Which, of course, would shock people even more, given his 25-inch height and mere 15 pounds of body weight. Wow. That is Little small. guy. Even Queen Victoria and later King Edward VII would be charmed by General Tom Thumb. At the age of five? I mean, how, how eloquent and... He was brilliant. Wow. Literally brilliant. Huh. His tours were wildly successful. And Tom is considered one of the very first true superstars of all time. Before movie stars. Before Elvis. Before Elvis. He also gave to the needy, including to famine relief in Ireland. And he was a Freemason by the age of 21. Barnum educated Tom and made sure he was extremely well cared for night and day his entire life. Tom married a little person named Lavinia Warren, and it was such worldwide excitement that they were received at the White House by President Abraham Lincoln wow. on their wedding night. I'm going to look that up on YouTube because I'd like to see him. Tom and Lavinia toured the world independently on their own show and they could do that because of Barnum's financial fairness with him since he was a child. From the beginning 
Barnum made sure Tom would be financially stable and was treated fairly in the profits he created. Tom was very wealthy in the New York elite with an expansive mansion, a yacht, and it was Tom who, like I mentioned, was able to bail Barnum out after a bad investment. Which perhaps I should mention. Barnum's bad investments were in trying to bring industry to Connecticut. He wanted to make sure his home state was a strong, wealthy state of industry. It was an investing in Connecticut, which bankrupted him. Mm-hmm. Sweet Tom died of a stroke at age 46. He had grown to two feet and three inches in height. A giant, you might say. After his death in 1883, doctors studied his body to see if they could determine why he was so little, given his parents and siblings were all of normal height. They documented their surprise that they found no explanation at all. Everything was just small. Yes. For instance, with the pituitary gland, it was completely normal. Nothing they could find would have caused his short statue. His relatively long life was also surprising. As many small people don't live long lives even today, but especially not in the 1800s. It was believed then and now that the one major contributing factor to his long life was due to the very comfortable life he lived with Barnum. And I certainly like to think so, too. No. Now, I am in no way claiming these guys were saints. They were complicated men, Barnum and Ripley, and they were absolutely out for profit. I just think that in the modern age, we have this concept that the people in these air quote here, freak shows, were treated like animals and that they were victims of horrible mistreatment and abuse rather than the truth, which that they were stars of the show. The shows would not have existed. The, entire, the entirety of the circus would not have existed without them. Hmm. We also, in my mind, have some pretty big misconceptions about who these guys really were. Starting with the quote, there's a sucker born every minute. I'm certain there were people who were abused and taken advantage of. There always have been, and sadly, there always will be. I just thought you might enjoy hearing about some of the amazing human marvels that really existed, the incredible odds that they overcame in a period of time that would normally have crushed them. And the true happiness and joy they found in their whole lives through, most often thanks to the sideshow circus and auditorium promoters that most of us think were con artists, not philanthropists, makes you want to rethink a lot of what you think you know. Just because you saw it once in a movie or on TV, it doesn't make it true. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes me wonder if we've become too PC, 
making decisions for everyone on what we think is appropriate. Maybe people with unusual conditions that are stuck hiding in a dark apartment would be happier and healthier if they could tour the world, putting on shows, proving to the world, like Priscilla, that they had a beautiful singing voice, or like Francisco, that they were funny and charming and could play soccer. But the world has, air quote, decided that that would be wrong in taking advantage of them. You know, we've decided that we're taking advantage of them. So they should not show us what's wrong with them. So instead, they have to hide because we'd be taking advantage of them. You know, I don't know. I can't say. But I am going to load some fantastic pictures of these amazing human marvels so that their unique beauty is not lost on you. As Edgar Allan Poe said, and this is a quote, there is no exquisite beauty without some strangeness in the proportions. Makes you think. And I really like that quote. It's a good one. Wow, that was a different kind of story, baby. It does have life and death and unusual stuff in it. Yeah, it does. So I don't know if it's medicine or historic or what, but I thought I'd go off the off the rails a little. <laughs> well, I'm glad you but did. But I just but I had to I disprove a little bit of uh, historical f- information for everyone because even I, who always loved the circus and love. P.T. Barnum and all of that. I've always loved those things. And I thought that he was the one that said there's a sucker born every minute. Absolutely. And he never said that. In fact, he was a staunchly religious man Hmm. and philanthropist. And he, and the fact that he would never allow them to be spoken to that way, he would never allow these human marvels to be made fun of or called freaks that he, he, I mean, he just didn't have any of that inside of him. Sounds like a pretty cool dude. Yeah. Well, where did you get all the info for that? I got it from thehumanmarvels.com, Wikipedia, and Ripley's Believe It or Not. And my story about the Warrens uh, mostly came from the Sun uh, Sun Sentinel. It's a local newspaper down in the Palm Beach area. Several different articles throughout the years. And the AP News as well. So, baby, that was fun. Yep, that was kind of fun. Other than rate, review, and subscribe, is there anything else you want to tell these fine people that are joining us again? Sorry we were late. (laughs) Yeah, only a few hours. Yeah, so. All right, well, until next time. Live big. Rest in peace. The worms worms are are waiting. waiting.